0: Would you all stand up with me real quick? We're going to just pray and we're going to change gears and we're going to get our hearts ready to receive what the Lord wants to encourage and challenge us with this morning. So Father, we do, we just choose to put our affection and our attention on you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us your word. And we thank you that your grace is available for us to not only hear the word, but to put it into practice. So we open our ears, and we open our hearts, and we choose to have the posture to receive, to hear and receive, with the idea of putting into practice. So we thank you, Father, for your anointing on your word, and we thank you for your love for all of us, and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm continuing a series. It's a discipleship series. This is part three been talking about living the abundant life that Jesus died for us to have. And today we're going to be continuing that, but the subtitle today is called Living the Life We Were Born to Live. Living the life we were born to live. You know, I get a lot of, when I was a youth pastor, I would get a lot of questions from the youth, such as, what's God's will for my life? What am I here for? What's my purpose? And that's probably one of the big one of the big questions or the questions most most commonly asked. And, and I even find that with adults. They're asking the same questions. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What am I, uh, why am I alive? And I believe that Jesus answers that very simply, simplistically, but a lot of times we miss it. You know, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 in the New King James Version, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Remember, he said that to the uh, fisherman. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'd like to look at that same verse in the, in the Passion Translation. It says, Jesus called out to them and said, come and follow me, and I will transform you into men who catch people for God. One more time, Jesus called out to them and said, come and follow me and I will transform you into men who catch people for God. So as we follow Jesus, we know he's in the process of changing our lives, but he's changing our lives into people who catch people for God, who win the hearts of people, who bring reconciliation between people and, and their creator, our heavenly father. That's what it's all about. The kingdom is about people. Jesus came and died a horrific death, willingly, not for a religious system. That wasn't the joy that he was looking forward to, to set up a religious system. The joy set before him was was people, you and me. That he came and died and rose again so that you and I could be set free when we put our faith and our trust in him. It's all about people. Math, excuse me. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, 28 through 31, also in the Passion Translation. One reason why I like to read the Passion Translation, one, it's a very good translation, and two, I've been reading the Bible quite often for many years in one or two particular translations. And a lot of times when you're reading, like if you use the New King James Version or the NIV or the New American Standard and you read, when you, when you're familiar, when you hit passages that you're familiar with, you can kind of just kind of gloss over them because you already know what it's going to say. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so you kind of, so it's hard to get to really see it for what it's saying because you've already read it a bunch of times and you just kind of gloss over it. And so what I like to do is to mix it up and read different translations, good quality translations, because a lot of times it'll say the same thing but in a different way and then it catches your attention and it brings new light to things that God wants you to see. And so I've been enjoying the Passion Translation. And, and, it, and right now I'm going to read a, a particular verse that uh, many of us are familiar with, probably all of us. And we're going to read it out of this translation. Mark 12, 28-31 says, Love your neighbor. No, excuse me. Now a certain religious scholar overheard them debating. When he saw how beautifully Jesus answered all their questions, he posed one of his own and he asked him, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest of all? So he asked a very important question. Which commandment is the greatest of all? Jesus answered him, the most important of all the commandments is this. Now, now here, before we go on, Jesus says, the most important commandment, excuse me, the most important of all the commandments is this. The Lord Yahweh, our God, is one. You are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you, and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this. Now, pause. What do you mean second? We're asking for one. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the most important is this, to love God with all of your being, right? We see that. Then he says, he goes on to say, the second one is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. I thought that was interesting because it seemed like he was going to give them one answer, which he did, but it's in two parts. One answer in two parts. And you realize, first he's saying, love God with everything, and also love people as you love yourself. And you can't separate the two. See, a lot of us love to love God. You know, life would be perfect if all you do is love God and there were no people around, right? Now, don't amen too loud now. (laughs) I mean, life would be perfect without people, right? People make it complicated. But he said, Jesus said, to love God with all of your being and love your neighbors yourself. The two greatest commandments. In other words, if we realize what he's saying, You know, he doesn't separate. Your love for God is demonstrated in your love for people. If you think about it, because I can say all day, I love God, I love God, I love God, I love God. And he says, here's how you prove that. How do you treat people? Because how easy is it for us to love God and not have anything to do with people or to treat people meanly? You know, I used to, I remember, (laughs) hopefully I've matured out of this, but My family might think otherwise. But I remember times when I'd have the most amazing times with Jesus. You know, I'd get up early, and if I stayed at home and did this, because typically I'd come to work, come to the church building, and and spend time with the Lord. But sometimes I would be home, like on my days off or whatever, I'd be home, and I'd get up early before everybody else, and I'd just have an amazing time with Jesus. It was awesome. I mean, just Jesus, you're amazing. I love you. I'll go wherever you want me to go, I'll do what you want me to do. You know, know, those kind of experiences. And then my kids wake up and get on my nerves. And then I start having an attitude and I start, and it's not like they're doing anything bad or anything. It's just my attitude, this, this wonderful godly attitude that I had a moment ago when there was no people around, all of a sudden changed when people showed up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know somebody like that? And Jesus is trying to help us to realize that the greatest commandment is one, but it's two parts. Loving God with everything and then loving people as you love yourself. This is what it's all about. It's all about loving God and loving people. So when you, when you think or ask the question, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? To love God with everything and love people as yourself. Now think about this. When we ask the question a lot of times, what's God's will for my life? And we're thinking of career, job, which way should I go? I think, and I've done this before in the past, I think sometimes we place too much emphasis on the job part. Think about like this. If God's calling me to love him and love people, then I should be able to do that wherever I go, whatever job I'm doing. And so it's not the job. Basically, the job becomes the vehicle through which I get to love people. That's not the main thing. But a lot of times we make the job the thing. And so, you know, when Jesus talks about if you're faithful with what I've given you, I'll give you more. You know, he talks about that. I believe if we're faithful in whatever job I have. Let's say if I started a job that I'm not too excited about, whatever that is. It's different things for different people. But let's say I have a job because I need a job, and so I get a job, and so I got a job. So I can pay the bills, but I'm not too excited about the job, but I have a job. That's a good thing, right? I have a job, I'm able to make money. And if I see that job not as a burden that I have to attend to and do every day, but an opportunity, an opportunity, not just to, although your, your, your job is to be a good, a, a very productive employee, right? So you want to go to the job and not slough off. You want to be a good, because basically you're working for Jesus, you know, do all these things unto the Lord, not unto men. So you're going to, like for example, you go to McDonald's or you go to some place to work, Jesus is your boss. So you want to make the best French fries on the planet, Right? You want to make sure the bathrooms are clean. You want, In other words, you want to do your job very well. So that's kind of the side thing. But if you make the main thing as seeing your job as an opportunity to love people, it's going to add a whole different dimension to your job, regardless of what it is. It's like, today I get the opportunity to love and serve the people that I come in contact with, that I serve alongside of. And if you, if you begin to live life from that mentality, from that perspective, life's going to be a whole lot more exciting than just going to the job. And here's what I believe happens. The Bible talks about the Lord exalts, the Lord puts down. He gives you favor. He lifts you up. When you are faithful in serving in that job and doing a good job and loving people, then God says, hmm, she's been very well at this, so guess what? I'm going to put her in a position so that she can influence more people. And oh, by the way, with that promotion comes more money. Wow, praise God. But the main thing is seeing it as an opportunity to love and influence more people. More people. So when you're asking God for his will, now I believe how it plays out too is whatever you have, you know, he gives you desires and gifts. He gives you a bent. You know, some people, we have a friend, um, 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 Ben Elliott. We had his family over a, few, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and his daughter, his oldest daughter, Shalom, is smart. I mean, a girl's kind of scary smart. She's one of those people, one of them scary smart people, but she's just really, really smart, and, and as we're talking and everything, her desire when she, and she's just 13-ish, I think, 13, Julia's age, or 14? Anyway, where are the grandparents at? Where are you at, Elliot's? How old is Shalom. 14. Okay. So she's in junior high. Okay. But you know what her desire is when she graduates from high school? She wants to go to an Ivy League school. Like, are you kidding me? But the girl is smart and and it's like, that's her dream. That's her desire. That's her passion. I believe God put that in her. She loves Jesus. I mean, the girl just flat out loves Jesus. She's a wonderful young lady. So she has this passion, this desire, this bent in her to pursue academics. Now, I don't know what her desire is as far as what she wants to do for a living. I haven't had that conversation with her. But she loves school. She loves academics. So it's probably going to be some crazy, high up there, amazing type job, right? And so whatever God's put in your heart, I believe as long as you're seeking him first, it's okay to go after the desires he's put in your heart. But it's seeking his kingdom first, in other words, you know, I'm going to go after this job. I'm going to get this job like Nicole getting this new job that's coming her way. It's going to be an opportunity for her to love new people, a new set of people that she's never met before. Now, the job's going to be amazing, whatever she's doing. And that's kind of the side thing. But the main thing is she gets to use her influence to love people. Are you with me on that? And so when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with everything in you, paraphrasing, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 14.3 in the Passion Translation again, it says, but when someone prophesies, he speaks to encourage people to build them up and to bring them comfort. He who prophesies, now in this passage in the chapter in uh, Corinthians 14, talking, in 12 and 14, he's talking about spiritual gifts. It's all about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is about love, which I find it interesting. Chapter 12, you you're talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, you're talking about spiritual gifts. In chapter 13, it's like, now this is the most important part. If you miss this, you've missed everything. Love. Love, love, love. So you have the bread on the outside and you have the meat between the bread, which is love. Love, love, love. So in this passage, he's talking about gifts and how they should operate. Now, when you read the book of Corinthians, Paul was, some people were in trouble. They were getting in trouble because they were acting like knuckleheads. They were using their gifts. They were very gifted, very powerful people, but they were using their gifts not in a way to love and edify, but it was more self-serving. They were doing it mainly to show off, to, hey, look what I can do. Look how cool and bad I am and all that. And Paul had to get on to them. And so he was teaching them about the importance of how to use gifts and love being the main important thing. And right here in, in chapter 14, verse 3, again, it says, But when someone prophesies, he speaks to encourage people to build them up and to bring them comfort. I believe, I would suppose or sub- submit this to you, that right here is the purpose for all the gifts. To, um, to encourage people, to build them up, and to bring them comfort. All the gifts are for the purpose of loving and serving people. Are you hearing that? God has put gifts inside of you, and he's given you gifts, spiritual gifts. He's given you just gifts. That's the only word that comes to mind. And the purpose of those tools is not so everybody can ooh and ah you and think how cool you are. But it's to use those things to love and serve people. To love and serve people. You know, as a pastor, you can imagine that I get approached off, over the years I've been approached often. New people will come to church and they'll come up to me and introduce themselves, and sometimes they'll flash their credentials. So they pull out these flashy cards, and I'm metaphorically speaking. But say, like, Hey, just want to let you know that I can sing. Hey, just want to let you know that I can preach. Do you know that I preached at Billy Graham? I'm just making this stuff up. But the, but the point is is they'll come and, and just one, let me know how wonderful they are because of their amazing gifts. And you know my, my honest opinion? I don't care about your gifts. I care about what are you doing with them to love the people around you. That's all I care about. So you don't have to tell me about your gifts because typically when people are doing that, they're, now I'm being general because a lot of everybody has bad motives when they do that. But just generally speaking, people do that. They're wanting the opportunity. They're wanting a place, a platform to shine, right? I mean, typically speaking, that's not what the gift's for. The gift is to love and serve people. So love love and serve people. If you have a gift, no, not if you have a gift, you have gifts. Utilize those gifts. Lord, help me to learn to use these gifts so I can love and serve people. And it doesn't have to be in front of a lot of people. It doesn't have to be up on stage. It doesn't have to be in front of people. People, the world doesn't need to know. Just love the people in front of you. Let them know how wonderful they are by you serving, loving, building them up, encouraging them, bringing comfort into their lives. How many of you guys realize people are hurting, right? So there's many opportunities to love and serve. For example, you have this wonderful singing gift. Maybe you can play the guitar like no one's business. You can sing, play the guitar. You can play some kind of musical instrument, and it's like, hey, I want to be on the worship team. I want to be. On the, let me let me show my stuff. Well, maybe you you might be on the worship team, but until then. Do you realize how many senior citizen centers we have in Stillwater that would, be, that would love to have you come sing to them? Because the majority of the people in the, in the nursing homes and the senior citizen places, the majority of them never have any visitors. Never. They get left there and boom. So if you said, you know what? I have this incredible voice. I have these wonderful skills, these music skills. I'm going to go love on some people. It doesn't have to be in front of everybody. But go knock on the door of one of these centers and say, Hello, ma'am, I hear you're the lady that organizes all the activities. My name is so-and-so. I'm wondering, is there an opportunity for me just to sing hymns or something to the residents you have here? You probably won't get turned down. We have gifts. To love and serve people. You still with me? Why am I here? To love God and love people. What am I supposed to be doing? Loving God and serving people. What is my purpose? To love God and serve people. Anybody getting it yet? I believe you will find the greatest fulfillment in life if you do this one thing. One thing. Live with the goal of adding value to people's lives everywhere you go. Live with the goal of adding value to people's lives wherever you go. To build them up, to encourage them, to bring comfort to them. To build them up, to encourage them, to bring comfort to them. If you go to work, you get up tomorrow morning. It's like, oh, it's Monday. I hate my job. You're going to probably have a miserable day. But if you get up, spend time with the Lord. Lord, who do you got for me today? And you, and you know the people you work with. You're talking to him. You say, hey, Lord, you know, that, that guy I work with, that lady I work with, do you have a word of encouragement for her that you want to share through me? Do you have a word of encouragement? And he may give you something. Probably will if you ask him. And then you go to work looking for the opportunity to encourage that person. Your whole mentality and mindset is going to be different versus going to that job that I cannot stand. Now, remember, we're not using our jobs as a place of ministry and neglecting our responsibilities. Right? You hear me on that? Because sometimes us Christians get a bad rap because we use we're using Christianity. Oh, I'm preaching the gospel. No, bro, you need to get back to work. I'm not paying you to preach the gospel. I'm paying you to flip them burgers. To feed our customers. I don't care about your Jesus. Right? We're not there. So, in other words, remember, we're there to serve. And when the opportunity presents itself, as long as it's not in conflict with our jobs, we love and we serve people, we encourage them. Still with me? Live with the goal of adding value to people's lives everywhere you go. I don't know when that happened in me, but that's something I realized that that's like my my mindset. Lord, who can I encourage today? So when we go to a restaurant, my aim now is to, you know, I remember back in the day, a good tip was 10%. That's nothing now. Ten percent, man, people might spit at that. Some of you are like, wait a minute, what? What do you mean ten percent is nothing? I've been ten percent of my whole life. It's time to up it. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. When you go to a restaurant, for, for example, do you realize that some of you who work in the food industry, and if you happen to work on Sundays, which you're obviously not right now because you're here, but I used to work in the food industry. I worked at McDonald's. I worked at Sirline Stockade, not the ones here, but when I was a, a teenager. And I've talked to people since then. But do you realize that one of the least favorite uh, days and hours of the week to work for the food industry is after church? After church. Take care of our crowd. In other words, after, you know, 12 o'clock, we're out of here and we go to all the restaurants. And so all these churchgoers fill up the restaurants. That is the server's least favorite time. They probably fight to not have to work that shift. You know why? Because that particular crowd happens to be the worst tippers, the most demanding, and the most selfish. What kind of a witness is that? It should be People fighting to work those hours because they should be experiencing the biggest tips, the most generous people, and the most friendly people. I mean, logically thinking, shouldn't it be that way? I mean, am I the only one that thinks like that? But it's the reverse. Why is that? You know, it's like, well, I'll give them a tip. Here's a track trying to save their soul. That track is not going to put diapers on that little baby. Now, here's here's an idea. Put a humongous tip inside that track. $50 bill. You know, something little like that. (laughs) Put a huge tip inside that track, and I guarantee that track will probably be paid attention to. You know, it's just sad that... We've been told by Jesus, we've been let, you know, he shows us to let our light shine before men in such a way. In such a way that they see your good works and glorify him. That's how we're to live our lives. Have you ever gone through the drive-thru at McDonald's? And after they take your money, you know, you know, that'd be $7.45 they take your money. Have you ever told them, excuse me, what's your name? My name is Sarah. Sarah, you're doing a great job. I appreciate that smile. You ever done that? Something simple like that? Well, if you do something simple like that, be prepared for an amazing response. It's like, how many times has the person at the drive-thru of McDonald's been encouraged by somebody? Or the lady at the Walmart checkout counter who's grumpy and, and upset and having a rough day and her head hurts. And you're standing in line, maybe three people back, and you see that maybe she's having a rough day or he's having a rough day. And you say, Father, is there anything you'd like me to say to that lady? Is there anything I can say to encourage her? And imagine he gives you something simple like, God just wants you to know he's thinking about you and he loves you. Simple. It doesn't have to be some big prophetic word where you tell them their address and phone number and all that kind of stuff. Now That would be cool too. But something Simple. I get the most amazing responses to the most simple words of encouragement. Let your light shine before men in such a way. They see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Greatest commandment, love God with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself. Acts 2035 in the Passion Translation. Surprise. Now Paul says this. He says, I've left you an example of how you should serve and take care of those who are weak. For we must always always cherish the words of our Lord Jesus who taught: giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. Giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. Do you know what this means? This means that you have been wired, your DNA has wired you, especially when you're born again, and probably when you're not. But I don't know about all that. So, we've been wired in such a way that we are more content, more satisfied, more fulfilled when we give versus receiving. But what do we try to do? What do people try to do? They try to get. They live their life trying to get as much as they can, and they're never satisfied. They're never content because we're never going to be satisfied that way. But he said it's more blessed to give than receive. So imagine if we can live a life, or if not can. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Of course we can. Imagine when we live a lifestyle of giving, of giving. First receiving from Him and then giving out. Giving out by encouragement. Looking for opportunities to encourage. Looking for opportunities to lift people up. Looking for opportunities to bring comfort. When your radar is on all the time and you notice oh, there's someone over there. Lord, how can I encourage Him? And you're giving after receiving. Imagine what our lives are going to be like when we live from that perspective. We all need to make the journey from being a relational consumer to a relational giver. A relational consumer to a relational giver. How many of you guys know people, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, it's a rhetorical question, know people that everything's about them? Don't raise your hand. Your spouse might think you're talking about them. But everything is about them. Everything is about that person. Everything is about that person. We know people like that. We need to make the journey from being a relational consumer to a relational giver. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16 out of the Passion Translation. Imagine that. It says and he appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers and calling and their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God and finally become one into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. And then, check this out, and then our immaturity will end. And we will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of his body, the church. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. So we see this passage, and it's it's a, a familiar passage again. He gave gifts to the church, fivefold ministry, to equip and build up the saints. So that we become mature and we grow up into Christ. And we're using our gifts to serve and love one another and building each other up. You see all that in that in that passage? You know, there's a there's something I learned many, many years ago, and I forgot about it till not too long ago, and I don't remember all the specifics, but I'm gonna share the general principles of this, and I'm calling it the growth chart or the spectrum. In other words, we are when we're born again, we fall somewhere. On this chart. And there are four, four people, four um, levels of growth of four places in life. And the first one is the infant. The infant. When you're born again, you're a new babe in Christ, right? This person is in a place where everything is about me. All I can do is focus on me and my needs. Everyone else exists to meet my needs. I'm always looking for someone else to clean up my messes. I don't have the ability to meet anyone else's needs. Now, that's true of an infant, right? Of a baby. They can't do nothing. They're pretty helpless. And everybody who takes care of them, they change the diapers, they feed them, they do all that stuff. The baby can't do anything. That's where some believers are. Now, this doesn't mean, this doesn't necessarily uh, correspond to your biological age. Unfortunately. You know, there are some people who are in their 40s, and they're still a babe in Christ. And, and now, if, if they were born again last week, that's cool. But if they were born again when they were 20, and they're 40, and they're still an infant, we got issues. You know, if Cornell came into the sanctuary with a pacifier still in his mouth, we would think either it's going to be an amazing prop for his sermon, Or the brother's got some serious issues. You know, when you see a baby, maybe up to one and a half, maybe two-ish, with a binky, or whatever you call it, it's okay. You see a seven-year-old walk in with one of them binkies, you kind of look at the parents. And yet we have people who have been born again for a while, Maybe 5, 10, 15 years, and everything is still about them. All, all they can do is focus on their needs. Everyone else exists to meet their needs. They're always looking for someone else to clean up their messes, and they don't have the ability to meet anyone else's needs. Then you have the, uh, the next growth phase is the child. And we'll say like 7 to 10. Most everything is still all about me. My main focus is on me and what I want and how people need to cater to me. However, I am beginning to develop the ability to think of others first and cater to their needs. I'm beginning to develop that. But it's not too often. So uh, I may do it every once in a while, but it's not a lifestyle by any means. I'm becoming more socially aware of others. I'm reaching out to and serving others. Excuse me. Reaching out to and serving others is an event, not a lifestyle. Seeing in people who go on a short, like, for example, people going on a short-term mission trip. In other words, you can go on a short-term mission trip and do some wonderful acts of service. Whether you build a building, a church, a home, you uh, pass out food or hand out food to the homeless, and and you do all these wonderful things, and you're just like, man, this is so fun. This is so fulfilling. And then you come back, and you go back to the lifestyle of being self-centered. So in other words, you're able to do that adventure, venture out into that, but it hasn't become a lifestyle yet. Then you have the young adult, say like teens into their 20s, maybe in 30s. This person is very aware of their own needs and caters to themselves. Excuse me. This person is very aware of their own needs and caters to themselves often. However, they are also very aware of other people and spend energy, time, and resources to reach out to and serve and meet the needs of those around them. They walk in compassion and empathy. They are becoming very... Self-sacrificing, serving and reaching out to others has become a lifestyle and not just an event. They notice needs in others and step up to serve and help. And they also know how to receive. So these are the people who, who serve, who love, who bless, who they recognize a need in someone else and they, they meet that need. You know this when when I was thinking about this, I thought of Christy Cannon. She ain't in here, is she? Good, because I wanna get in trouble. Because that girl can throw some shoes. What? Now, now I know I'm surrounded by family, so I understand that. But when I, I think of Christy, um, she provides me with very. Important intel. And what I mean by that is she'll text me or she'll call me or she'll see me and say, hey, pastor, just want to let you know that, don't know if you knew this, but so-and-so's in the hospital. Really? What's up with that? And they say, oh, they had da-da-da-da. No, I didn't know that. And I go to the hospital. And then the person's like, oh, it's good to see you. It's like, yeah, I know. The pastor, that's what I do, you know. Or she'll say, hey, uh, just wanted you to know it's so-and-so's birthday. It is? Send him a text. Happy birthday. I hope you have an amazing birthday. Oh, thank you so much, Pastor. You're so amazing. I know. I know. You see how this works? But here's the deal. Christy is very aware of the needs. And then she chooses to do something about it. Because, see, she didn't just tell me, oh, by the way, so-and-so has a need or so-and-so is this or so-and-so is that. She does something about it, too, but she wants to make sure that I'm aware of it. And it's funny because a few, a number of weeks ago, we were in here. It was before church, and and someone said, you know, where's, where's Christy? And then someone said, oh, she's probably helping somebody somewhere. And everybody was like, yeah, you're right. That's Christy, ministering to people's needs. And, you know, it's funny because she says that she thinks sometimes she's not a people person. And we all know that's not true, right? Yeah. Her peopleness doesn't necessarily look like everybody else's. She's not an upfront person. I'm upfront right now. I don't mind holding this. This doesn't intimidate me. And years ago it did. It doesn't anymore. I'm an upfront person. I'm a people person, too. Christy is, too. It just looks different. But just as valuable. And see, that's a, that's a mature Christian who looks for and notices the needs of other people. And I think of another man, another man, sorry, Christy's not a man. I think of another person. Uh, those of you who have been around a while may remember Cecil, Cecil Shields. He's a brother that's been in our church a long time, had been in our church a long time. He ended up moving back to Perry and, and is not able to come over. But... Um, In the past, he would cook. He's a wonderful cook, do all kinds of things. But then his health deteriorated rapidly, some very poor health, and ended up having a – I can't remember, but I think he's lost both legs. I think he's a double amputee. I can't remember. I mean, I see him, but I can't – I never looked down at his legs, so I can't remember. But do you remember? Is it – excuse me? He lost both of them? Okay. I thought so, but I wasn't sure. But anyway, here's something that's cool about this man. That's one of my heroes is, you know, we all have excuses, right? We're all busy. ain't got time for that. We, we have all kinds of excuses while well, we can't do things, reach out to people, bless people, serve people, all that kind of stuff. We all have our excuses, and we're good at it. Yeah, he has eye problems too. Yeah, because of the diabetes, his, eye, his eyesight has deteriorated rapidly. But it's interesting because when he lived here in Stillwater, he lived at Forty North, um, he was often telling people about Jesus. If you knew Cecil, you knew that he was all about Jesus, and you telling people about Jesus. And he would tell people about Jesus. And there was a man in his apartment complex that uh, he was trying to get to church. You He know, kept inviting him to come to church and all this kind of stuff. And, and um, that gentleman might have been in a wheelchair, too. I can't remember. But Cecil ended up leading this man to the Lord. Led him to the Lord. The guy put his faith in Jesus. And then shortly thereafter, the man passed away. I thought, are you kidding me? This brother's in heaven because of this man who refused to make excuses for his health conditions. Here's another thing this man did. He invited me and my family to his little apartment for dinner. That was just me, Lisa, and Benjamin and Julie at the time, not the whole eight of us. That overwhelms anybody, right? Right? But just half of us, he only got half of us, but the four. But he's still in a wheelchair. He not only cooked me and Lisa a casserole, but not thinking that the kids would like the casserole, he made them pizza pockets and Kool-Aid. I think, talking about being sensitive to the needs of young people. Well, he didn't know my young people. Not only did they devour the pizza pockets, but they were looking at my food too. And we had a great time. We all sat around that little kitchen table, a little bit bigger than this. And we're all squeezed in, eating pizza pockets and and casserole and all that, drinking Kool-Aid and everything. And then we finish dinner, and then we back our chairs up and turn into the living room, and we just hang out. Because this man wanted to invite me and my family, and he just wanted to love on us and encourage us and bless us. And I left there inspired it's like, I don't have any more excuses. See, that's a person who looks to meet the needs of other people. A mature believer. And then you have the parent. And I'm going to say 30, 30s and older. This is a, these are spiritual fathers and mothers. Very self-sacrificing. They live their lives for the benefit of others constantly looking to pour into the lives of those around them. They invest their time, energy, and resources into the lives of others. They're building a legacy by pouring themselves into other people. See, they're not just thinking about now, but they're thinking about when they pass on, they want to leave something behind of significance. And their way of doing that is investing in the lives of other people. That's what a parent does. A lot of behind-the-scenes investment they don't need to be seen. In other words, they, a lot of things that they do, it's not out in front of everybody, but they're doing stuff behind the scenes, loving and serving people that no one knows about. People of quote-unquote insignificance, according to society, but they're spending time investing in people like that, knowing that they're not going to get anything in return from them. And they also know how to graciously, they know how to graciously give and receive. So you have the infant, you have the child, you have the young adult, and you have the parent. See, all of us are on that spectrum somewhere. We're on that growth chart somewhere. If you find yourself in the infant stage and you're an adult, okay, you find yourself there, all right, let's just face reality. Recognize where you're at. Grab Jesus by the hand and follow him. Because remember, he says, Follow me and I will conform you. I will transform you into. So, when we're following Jesus, then we are going to be transformed. He's going to be changing us, he's going to be growing us up. Right? If we're not following him, then we're just standing still. And then 10, 20 years later, we're still babies. So recognize where you are and then do something about it. That's the deal. If you recognize where you are, and you're not happy about it, and you don't do anything about it, that's not good. He's inviting, he's sticking his hand out and saying, Come, follow me, and I will make you. Remember when he first called Peter? And matter of fact, that's who he was talking to, Peter. Knucklehead, big mouth, coward, betrayer, all these things. Even got called Satan. It's like, dang, Jesus, calm down. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter got called all those things. But he kept following Jesus and he became a pillar of the church. Not perfect because he still got, got confronted by Paul later on, being hypocritical but he grew up in the Christ. That's the invitation, is for us to grow up in the Christ. Amen? We don't have to be satisfied where we are. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up. As I bring this to a close. What I want to do first is, if there's anyone here... I'm not going to say, if you're here this morning. I think that's funny when the preacher says, if you're here this morning. Don't you find that comical? (laughs) If you're here this morning, because see, if you're not, you're not hearing me anyway, so I'm wasting my breath, right? But those of you who are here and have not yet committed your life to Jesus, today's the day to start that journey to be born again, to be born into the kingdom of God, to be born into the family of God, to become that baby. You know, we celebrate babies. We do, don't we? There's one right over there. There's a lady who's about to have a baby, and they're going to have a shower for her on September 7th, I think. We celebrate babies. You giving your life to Jesus and being born again, we're going to celebrate you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity if you haven't done that yet and you would like to do that as soon as I dismiss, I want you to come up and let's have a conversation. Okay? And let's get this thing going. And the rest of us, let's close our eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to show you where you are. And all of us Every single one of us have room for growth, a lot of room for growth. And I would encourage you not to be content, but to say, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm going to continue to follow you. And I want you to invite him in, however you believe he's, he's convicting and dealing with you, and to submit to him and to say yes to him. Father, we thank you that you are amazing. You're wonderful. And we do invite you to examine our hearts and to show us where we are so we know where we need to go. Thank you, Father, for your grace, the ability, the desire for us to follow you. We want to go where you're going. We want to do what you're doing. And we want to say what you're saying. We choose to live our lifestyles to invest and to add value to other people. But, Lord, we know that comes out of, in a healthy way, it comes out of our love relationship with you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, Joseph's wedding is a week from tomorrow, and you're all invited. We'll talk more about that next week. God bless you.